girls one ghost oh yeah two girls one ghost that's corinne i'm sabrina i just had a little bit of an unhinged moment we took a break between our recordings and corinne you had to do uh some like backup for files and i was just like just gonna lay on the floor just lay down take a rest you deserve it you're so hard working stare blankly at the ceiling like tina belcher uh it's, it's a <laughs> meditative uh, state. Hi, this is an encounters episode and we are just going to start it off hot and heavy. I have a story that's not really a story. Okay. Or it's not really a paranormal story, but I laughed and I really wanted to share it. Okay. Let's hear it. This is from our listener, Katie. And a couple episodes ago, or I mean, I think I've talked about this enough where it's not even just one episode, but I talked about my dumpster behind a dumpster alley uh, bowel movement uh, situation incident. Yes. And Katie yes. sent, and you know what? There are a couple people who reached out and made me feel way less alone. And I really appreciate all of you. You got to download that app places I've pooped. And then you can just <laughs> drop a pin where you have your accident. My poop locations. <laughs> so Katie sent an email. The subject line was Sabrina's dumpster poo twin. <laughs> My name is Katie and I live in Oregon. You can use my name if you do share this. I don't mind if you share. It's not ghostly, but I couldn't help but share with at least you two. I love your show and my favorite episodes are the ones that go really wild like demonic possession. Hey, me too. So interesting and creepy. I love the banter and actually found one story you told, which episode I can't remember, but was similar to an experience I had and I couldn't help but write in. It was when Sabrina got caught in traffic, but really had to go and ended up behind a dumpster. It happens. It happens. I was in Italy on my honeymoon in 2019. I have IBS. The water there is hella full of minerals and apparently has a lot of magnesium, which I'm really sensitive to. I bought non-mineral water whenever possible, but it was a massive heat wave. So I had to drink water regardless. Anyway, I ended up taking copious amounts of Imodium just to be able to do anything. We were walking back to our Airbnb after dinner one night, and we were in a cute small town, the name of which I will not reveal. And halfway there, it hit me. Bad. Everything seemed to be closed. No parks, no dark corners. I was panicked. My husband was Googling shops that might be open nearby and saying words of encouragement. This did not matter. It was coming. <laughs> we found a street with a huge line of dumpsters and no people around. I ran toward it and dropped trow. My husband acted as a lookout while I defiled this beautiful, clean patch of pavement between two dumpsters. It was insane. I heard my husband whistling a tune as I walked sheepishly around the side. Two guys were walking down the sidewalk about a block away, but luckily I made it in time. I just feel so bad for the garbage man that would have to see the atrocity that I left behind. This is my worst poop story. Sorry, I don't have any ghostly content, but I have old family <laughs> ghost stories. Just nothing I've personally experienced. Much to my dismay. But I hope you got a laugh at least. See you on the other side, Katie. 
You know, I really don't blame anyone for those moments because with the amount of traffic there is in places with the amount of just inaccessibility to public toilets, right? Like there's codes, you have to pay something, things are just closed. Especially in, in Europe, you have to pay just to use public toilets too. You know, like you can't just rush in and like there's just, it takes a lot of time to find a bathroom and you don't always have time on your side. Yes, like digestive issues are very real. And this is something that I, because mm-hmm. I take a lot of risks. Like I very much was like, you know what? I'm not even going to take it. I'm not even a second thought. I have to go really badly. I mean, I was in my mind going through all these scenarios of can I make it? And it was just the answer was absolutely not. So I just did it. But that happens a lot with my peeing too. My bladder gets full and I wait and I wait and I wait. And then I'm in a situation where I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot make it to the bathroom. So I take a lot of risk when it comes to bowels. And (laughs) I... I think it's only a matter of time before either someone calls the police on me or I get caught. CCTV footage. Have you seen this person? Yeah. And what's sad is that that's like public indecency, right? So, but like, can't people understand the reality of of the pain that we go through with IBS or I don't know, food poisoning? I worked in HR and there were, you know, like there's sometimes people needed desks closer to the bathroom because they had trouble getting there in time once their body told them it was time to go. So you're not alone. There's a lot of people who have those problems. I also love that Katie's in Europe trying to get water without minerals when we're here in America, just like there's not enough. We're so deficient. (laughs) I'm like, where are the minerals to take 500 horse pills a morning just to have my body be like alert and not slump down into a nap every day? It is funny because magnesium, I take it to help with my bowels. So I get it. There was a time and I won't continue talking about poop for much longer, I promise. But there was one time recently um, post dumpster incident where I was on a walk and I was in like this beautiful neighborhood, probably a good, like a good half a mile away from public stores or any, any access to restrooms. And it, it struck. Um, and you get the, the beads of sweat on your upper lip when that happens. Oh, I I, It's like full anxiety all over my body. And my body's like, we're ready. And I'm just like, stop, stop. I just have a mustache of sweat. And it was bright daylight. Like, so even though there are certain, I mean, alleys, and this is a really freaking nice neighborhood. It's not like an alley in, I don't know, the middle of nowhere or just like in discreet nowhere, no one's around. Yep. Basically people are watching. People are around. Oh, and these people all have cameras. Like this is like right, exactly. You know, fancy, yes. well kept. Someone that walks down the street that they don't know. Oh, absolutely. They're looking under construction, and there was a fence around it. And I was like, "Can I slip in here? Can I like?" And there was a porta potty in the the fenced area. You're the phantom pooper. I, but, okay, I, you poop I, and you leave unnoticed. I didn't do it this time I because I couldn't get in. <laughs> I couldn't get in and I was panicked. I had no idea what to do. I, tr- I, I tried to start running 
and that made it worse. So then I was like really fast speed walking and um, I apologize to the coffee bean. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, I think coffee bean and tea leaf also uh, experienced me realizing I was allergic to avocados. So <laughs> they've seen some shit. Literally. They've seen some shit. <laughs> Sabrina, you have your hair tucked back. Don't touch your hair. You have your hair tucked behind. And this is such a cute length on you. I think you should chop. It looks so good. Okay. Yeah. So I got layers when I did my haircut. Corinne, you helped me decide what I wanted to do. Um, but because of the layers, my hair looks thinner. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just thinking back to your haircut when you were like, what do I do for my haircut? And I sent you one picture and I said, this is nice. And then you text back and you go, yep, that's what I showed them. I'm, like, like, I'm so easily know. convinced. Um, when you're like, oh, you helped me. I'm like, I didn't really put that much effort in. I sent you one picture from my Pinterest and that was it. I loved it. You knew what I wanted. You read my mind. But But look, um, it's so cute. But I've done this before, but because of the layers, my hair is thinner. But with all of my hair, it gets too thick. Like it doesn't look this nice when it's cut short. Oh, gets a little poofy. Yeah. Gets a little Lord Farquaad. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That is an <laughs> accurate description. I understand that. I really want to try. Sorry, this is an encounters. I'm not going to just keep going on a tangent because we're supposed to be telling ghost stories okay. here. So I'm actually going to pivot and I'm going to read you an email called Disney World Sighting. Oh, okay. Hey, girls. I love your podcast. It's been my obsession since I was sent home from school due to Miss Rona. 37 episodes and and me and my group of friends that I was with decided to go to the Tower of Terror. We went once and we loved it. There was only a 10 minute wait when we went to get off. So we hopped right back in line. We rode the same tower, Tower D. And when we got down this time, we 100% saw a shadow figure of a man wearing the same type of outfit and hat that the employees wear on the ride. Oh, Oh, we were almost all the way to the top of the ride. So we didn't think that it was an employee, but we decided to ask the employees of this ride if they knew if there was any way for someone to get all the way up there. They told us no. The farthest employee was the one first opening, which is nowhere near where we were when we saw this figure as we had passed that as we were going up. We decided to ride it again and make sure to get the exact same seats to see if we could see the figure again, because maybe it was a doll or something. When we went up that time, there was nothing there. We looked up ghosts in Disney's Tower of Terror after the ride and found a story of an employee dying during the shift. Oh no. At the time, they were manning Tower D. Apparently, whatever we saw has been seen before. We went back one more time just to be sure and still nothing. We don't know what it was. It could have just been a trick of the eye or something, but it was definitely weird. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and spooky, Jordan. I know what you saw. Not a trick of the eye. It was a ghost. It was a ghost. It was a spirit. I wonder if we, because, oh gosh, not that I would remember, but we covered Disney. I think it was me or we both did. I don't know. And I'm curious if we had found that story or, because I, I covered like a lot of the deaths. I think it was me. I think it was you too. I think I, I covered maybe like one or two. And then I think you did a, I think we double dipped a little bit. Um, I think this is one of those things though, with like 
Disney in certain locations, you just, until you're there and learn, like there's only so much on the internet and a lot else exists in lore and oral history. And just like people who go to Disney a lot might share a bunch of things and it's in those community groups and those Reddit forums. And it's not something that we're necessarily going to find as easily. And this might've been one of those things. That's true. But uh, I mean, I hope that, I hope it's a residual haunting. And that this person, unless they really loved Disney and loved their work and loved working on the Tower of Terror, but also, well, I haven't ridden the Tower of Terror because I'm scared. I love, but which is now Guardians of the Galaxy, and I haven't been on it, and I'm boycotting it. Not that <laughs> anyone cares. Oh wait, they like actually fully changed it. It's not just a part time change. No, it's full time change. Oh, some of them they need to just commit to forever because they're classics. They're staples. I, I agree. I agree. The ones that aren't racist, like the like the song of the South one that that's yeah, becoming that's Giannis. True. That's that's good. That's that's, <laughs> that's a good change. Um, that's a good change. But yeah, I I agree. I well, based on what I remember from the episode where we covered Disney, I do feel like there are so many spirits there. One because people dump ashes of their loved ones there. And then two, <laughs> isn't that so wild? I know, <laughs> like a, a an amusement park geared towards children and families, and people go and dump dead bodies there. It's the happiest place on earth. Why wouldn't you want to <laughs> enjoy that in the afterlife? I'm sure your loved ones don't want you to be banned for eternities, <laughs> unless <laughs> for the, the rest of your life. Unless they're life. like that's their one that. Their will says nothing except for yeah, leave my ashes at Disneyland. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there should just be. They should start something at Disney where it's like you can leave the ashes here. They should. They should fix the problem by having a dedicated drop off zone. <laughs> yeah, but then how many? Like, uh, gosh, imagine like dealing with that. How many people are going to drop ashes? I, like, yeah. I know I was just thinking like, oh, what if they make a Ferris wheel and like say that the ashes go on the Ferris wheel and then you just have like a, and then they put a projection of all the like spirits and stuff like they do in the haunted mansion and stuff. But then, then people would say that's insensitive. And now I'm telling myself, Corinne, that's insensitive. Don't ever work for an amusement park in the creative (laughs) department. So I wonder if like they could add it to the mulch that's on their property. And then this is just going to be the most haunted the place on earth, place on not earth. the happiest place on earth. I feel like this is Roller Coaster Tycoon and this is the amusement park we are building. Yeah. We're all just Sims in our little simulation. So yes. here we go. This is a story from our listener, Chanel, and it's called Astral Projected and Dead Little Sister Reassured Me I Couldn't Save Her? Question mark. Good afternoon, my kindred ghostesses. I have so felt compelled to email you since I woke up this morning that I had to stop what I was doing with my now half-straightened, half-wild child hair and sit down and write, albeit trepidatiously as the energy is very heavy around me right now. As some backstory, my little sister passed tragically due to an addiction nearly four years ago. We were extremely close during a traumatic childhood, and she was my only family. Two weeks before she passed, I was in a coma from anaphylactic reaction and was intubated for a few days. I remember 
going out when I could no longer breathe from the reaction. And I remember warm and pillowy darkness, like I was wrapped in a fluffy black velvet. I felt calm and finally at peace. And I remember hearing a young girl's voice coming from a very soft, shining white light in the distance. This girl kept saying with a calm and loving authority, no, he still needs you. You're not staying here yet. I remember lurching upright and ripping the breathing tubes out of my mouth, which hurt. The nurses tell me that I had been in an unresponsive coma because my body closed up on the inside and was not reacting long-term to the epi, and they were surprised that I was awake, especially to have awoken in such an active manner. manner. They eventually mentioned that I had been receiving numerous hospital calls from the exact ICU that I had been in. I had found out that my little sister was admitted to the ICU right after I had gone into a coma and was in the room in the hall across from me. Oh my God. There was the nurse's station island in between us, so I couldn't see into her room, but I could still see the door. She had been in and out of the hospital often in recent years as part of the side effects of her struggles. I thought this was one of those times, but it was not. I was very weak and still having oxygen problems. So in order to leave the hospital, I had to prove that I could walk on my own around the ICU unit. The last stop was my little sister's room. I wasn't allowed to go in because of the risk of infection. Her body was sadly shutting down and one micro germ would ruin the very slight chance that she could survive. I didn't fully understand this then, but I do now. The last time I saw her was standing outside her door, leaning on my IV tower, backless gown and slip-resistant footy socks on my feet with my nurse at my elbow. I looked in, and it was not her. It was her body, but it wasn't her. She was gone. I felt the peace that she was looking for to get out of the cycle of this struggle. Part of me, however, did think she would be okay. Fast forward a week or so, and I'm on the phone with her ICU doctor who is telling me to get there ASAP to say my goodbye. And I hear a code in the background and the doctor pauses and says, I am so, so sorry. I fell to the ground next to my bed, wailed and told her I would call her back. I had just gotten off the phone with my father to take the ICU call. I called my dad back and told him the sound of grief that overcame him and the distance between us was something I will never forget. It is still visceral and thinking of it overcomes me as I write this nearly four years later. I became instrumental in the grief process for my father and my little sister's children. I was the only one that had the most contact with her. I became a recluse for months. I quit my job. I ordered all my groceries for delivery when I was finally able to start eating again. And I saw absolutely no one for about five months. Fast forward to me buying a ticket to my favorite music group's show. First thing I had done for myself in public in five months. It was about an hour away and I was halfway there and decided... I wanted to turn around and just go back to my misery hole. As I started changing the destination on my maps app, a large and vibrant dragonfly starts flying and hovering right in front of my windshield. It was not the time of year nor the remote area that they are ever present in, and it was a rainy late afternoon, so no light for this thing to be so blue. Also, how in Sam Hill did it stay in front of my windshield right in front of my face without getting hit? I was only going 30 on a back road, but still. I then heard the young girl's voice around me saying, go straight, please don't stop. This is yours. 
Straight as the crow flies from where I was on that road, I had never been on, but maps took me to avoid traffic, was the destination of the music show. I went. The band reached out to me and we had a wonderful night together as it was the first time I had been out since my sister passed. I rarely see dragonflies, but now I think that when I do, it's her making a little visit. I've done a lot of healing. Hell, I can write about and talk about it now, but I always carry this guilt and wonder if maybe there was something or anything I could have done. Maybe there was some difference I could have made, some word I could have said, or any hope I could have given her that would have made her put away the alcohol and stay with us. The not knowing if I could save her, as I did so many times when we were little, has been weighing on me in recent months more than I can fully explain. Fast forward to my goodwill visit yesterday. I see this cast iron dragonfly thing. I guess it goes in the garden. I don't have a garden though. So I pick it up and I think of her and I smile and put it back. I start walking away and I feel like I have to pick this thing up again. And the further away I get from it, the heavier I feel like I'm trying to get through thick mud or quicksand. So I go back, I grab it and feel light and warm. Weird. I put it in the basket and keep wheeling around. Now, At this point, I'm in between jobs and trying to be frugal, so I go to thin down my finds and return this dragonfly back to the shelf a while later. But again, the same thing happens. I try to ignore it and keep walking. But you know how if you step on gum and then you're still tied to that gum with a long sticky strand from your shoe to the ground? That was me and this dragonfly. I ended up buying it and I set it on a stool next to fairy lights and a piece of quartz that showed up in a bag of marbles I had bought at that same Goodwill. Now, finally, last night, I have this very vivid in-color dream with sounds, scents, and temperature changes. It is my sister walking with me in that ICU hall, and we're looking in the rooms. The same exact patients that were there on my real-life walks were in the same rooms in my dream. She was walking with myself and the same nurse from that day. I smelled the same perfume that the nurse had, and I truly felt her as we linked arms. My sister wasn't walking, though. She wasn't a full person. She was thick energy and light, an actual warmth that I felt like when you get near a hot light with a softer and more childlike voice. The same voice I heard when I was in a coma. The voice and feeling I experienced with that dragonfly on the way to the show. She was talking to me vaguely, but reassuring me over and over again as we caught closer to her room. We all three stopped and looked in at my sister's body. It was there in the very same state as it had been the last day I had seen her. My sis, the energy sis, not body sis, said, see, I was already gone, so you had to stay. For them and for me. She said, look at me. There was nothing you could have done. I need to be free. Then my whole body went warm, like lying on the beach on the sunniest summer day, and the words, I am at peace and happy for the first time in life, enveloped me. Like when you're in a room and a voice comes over a loudspeaker filling up the space. Today has felt light in the sense of I don't think I need to wonder anymore. It's also reassuring to me that sis is around. I also now understand that whole coma situation a little better. But what was the ICU visit in my dream? It was as if I was reliving that day exactly down to every visceral detail. Even the conversation with my nurse in my dream was word for word the conversation I had in real life. The Apple watch with the white band on her left wrist showed the exact time in the dream when I looked down as it did when I looked at it that day in real life, 1054. Was it astral projection? I don't know enough about it to make an educated guess. 
Oh, and that dragonfly on the stool, when I pick her up or even just touch her, the energy in my chest and down my back is heavy and warm. Ooh, thank you for reading this. It was wholly cathartic for me and will serve as the very first time I've written details of my sister's death. I've had other similar vivid dreams since I was a child, and they started when I moved into a very haunted home where the previous owners had died by murder-suicide. This is also when I began to experience things that scared the adults around me. Now I live in an old boutique hotel from the 1920s that has some fun and not so fun experiences on a regular basis, but I'll save those for later if you're so inclined. Yes. Thank you for an empathetic and sincere ear and for a safe space to share our experiences. I've attached a picture of the dragonfly. Love and light. I will see you on the other side. Chanel. Chanel. So sorry for your loss. That's so hard. But I'm also just thinking like throughout this, it was... It's interesting that Chanel looked to her sister and saw my sister's not there, right? Like the the soul has moved on and what, yes. And then at the same or around the same time was hearing these messages from who Chanel was describing as a little girl. But that's really interesting because sometimes, well, it just makes me wonder because sometimes when people cross over, we've heard that they, they typically take on a version of their best self when they felt their best. And from what we can hear, it sounds like her sister wasn't feeling her best for a while. Right. And so I wonder if she went back to that time or if she chose that time because something about presenting herself that way or, or being younger just reminds her of growing up with Chanel and like them being kids and sisters and siblings. And that's just how she came through. Yeah. I also wonder, because to me, it's very clear that when Chanel was in her coma from the anaphylactic shock, she was close to death. And at the same time, her sister was admitted into the ICU and her soul had passed on. And she had chosen, or she had communicated with Chanel to be like, you need to stay. We can't both leave this world at the same time. You are not finished here and helped push Chanel's soul spirit back into her body. And I wonder if the dream at the end that Chanel was saying was actually because the way she described seeing her sister's body in the room and knowing that it was just her body and not her actual spirit. I wonder if astrally in that moment, in the real experience, her astral soul was communicating with her sister and that is what she dreamt. But she like almost didn't retain that because there was so much grief and tragedy and sadness in that moment. And also sort of what is time even situation? Like perhaps the dream was actually just experiencing it, but somehow time wires get crossed. But yeah, no, that makes total sense. That's just, I also am very curious to her sister's experience with crossing over because knowing that that Chanel was in the other room, or I'm assuming very quickly learning that Chanel was in the other room, I'm just curious sort of what, what her experience was like. You know, it's not like she, did she have all the knowing of the world within <laughs> a second and was still able to go over to Chanel and say, hey, stay here. Or was she in this astral sort of in-between state taking care of business with Chanel before continuing on. And then just the electric buzz, the energy that comes with the dragonfly of this totem of her sister. Beautiful. 
It's also, this brings up a question that's so interesting for me is, well, so in my, in this experience, Chanel believed her sister's soul, and it sounds like definitely left the body many days before her physical body left or, you know, stopped working. It's a weird way to say it, but my grandfather also was admitted to the hospital and kept alive on machines but we all believe his soul had actually left at a different time. And it was kind of confirmed to us by some paranormal experiences that happened that followed. And I talked about that on my special, but it makes me wonder how long the human body can stay technically alive without the soul. Yeah. That is interesting because then it just kind of, I mean, it goes back to the question of sometimes when people say, you know, a loved one that they visited in the hospital were clearly waiting for them to come say goodbye. And they choose when to go, certain people. Right. And it makes me curious if it's just, yeah, how many people have decided to go and just, I guess, the choices of those still living are the ones when in those special circumstances of being hooked up to machines that will keep the physical form going, how that changes. And also, you know how there's all those studies where it's like people after they pass, they lose, you know, there's like a certain measurement of weight that releases from their body that hasn't been like completely attributed to any specific thing like bacteria or gas or fecal matter or urine, you know? Yeah. And so a lot of people are like, oh, it's their spirit. I wonder if there, if there was any like a sudden drop in weight with certain people who are in those positions whose bodies are still there, but their family members are like, they're not, it would be impossible to know. Cause we'd have to keep them on a scale. Like how uncomfortable <laughs> like that would be. Yeah. That feels hmm. inhumane to just put them on like a giant. Yeah. Cold scale. You know, one day we'll have the answers, whether it's this life or another life or on the other side, we will figure it out. I believe in that. Me too. Okay. This one, this one's a fun one. Okay. Hello there. I'm a longtime listener and I've wanted to share the story for quite some time, but I am lazy. So I never got around to writing it (laughs) until now. Oh, yay for being sick with COVID and being so bored, locked, isolated (laughs) in my apartment while we have an unusually warm fall. This was last year. Attached, you will find my story. Well, not mine, but my neighborhood's story from a strange summer in 1995. Oh, okay. <laughs> so of course I opened that PDF and said, let's Hell hope yeah. there's no virus attached to this. <laughs> and there wasn't, there was just an epic story. But all right. to, in the future, everyone write your stories in the bodies of the email, just so write we it in are bodies. sure we're not getting a virus. Because it's yeah. a risk. It's a risk we often don't take. Yeah. This one was an exception. I, for some reason, trusted Billy. (laughs) Go to like a public library to open it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I absolutely love the podcast and thought you would both enjoy hearing this account from the summer of 1995. From a little town in Michigan when multiple neighbors all saw lights in the sky. My name is Billy. You can use my name. My pronouns are he, him. And to quote Sophia from the Golden Girls, picture it, Michigan. 1995. I grew up in a very small town in Michigan, dirt roads, lots of fields and farms. At night, the only light came from the moon and stars. My direct neighbors were my aunt, uncle, and three cousins. To say that the area was conservative is an understatement. 
Any mention of paranormal things were laughed at and shunned. The same goes for anything queer-related, but I digress. And moved away the day, the day after graduation. <laughs> <laughs> the lights were first spotted from my neighbor's house. The husband, Joe, and daughter were outside at night bringing in groceries, and they both saw three orange lights. They were above their cornfield, off in the distance. The lights just sat there, not moving. There was not any sound. The lights were about 100 feet or so above the corn. They moved into the house, and when Joe looked back outside, the lights were higher up in the sky and moving away very slowly toward the south. He got his wife, and they watched them until they were past the woods and out of sight. Joe said that there were three lights in a triangular shape. He did not see a craft object that they were attached to, but said that they stayed in the same shape as they hovered and then moved. This, of course, made it into the neighborhood gossip, and it was joked about and not taken seriously. About a week later, my father and uncle were returning from a quick trip to the store, and they saw three orange lights above the woods on what would be my uncle's farm. They stopped the truck and watched. Like the previous time, as Joe and his family had witnessed, the lights just hovered. They didn't move, and there was no noise. The lights then moved quickly off and out of sight. My uncle, who was driving, drove the rest of the way to his house with my dad, and when they pulled in the driveway, the lights were hovering above my uncle's barn. Whoa. The barn sat back probably a thousand feet from the house. They both got out of the truck and stood there, watching. My dad said that he saw that the lights were on a triangular object. The object was so dark that you could tell that it was there because it was darker than the night sky. Whoa. My uncle said that the shape was, quote, like if three yellow school buses were in a triangle. I had to put that in because it still makes me laugh to think that that's how he came up with the size. As I said before, country folk. <laughs> I think I've used that measurement before. <laughs> yeah, I can picture it perfectly. It's a good it's an yeah. it's a good description. Spatial awareness that helps. My uncle and father went into the house to get my aunt and mother, and when they came out, it was gone. So my mom and my aunt, as well as me and my cousins, made fun of them and asked how many people. <laughs> Later that night, the electricity in the house started acting very strange. We had gone back home and the lights would get extremely bright and then darken. The TV would go dark and then it would come back on. That happened occasionally. It was the country and when it was really hot or there were storms happening, electricity would act weird. My mom called my aunt and my aunt said the same thing was happening there, but that my aunt and uncle's phones kept ringing. When they would pick up, it would be really loud static. Oh. As my mom and aunt were talking, another neighbor picked up. We had party lines back then when the entire neighborhood was on one single phone line. So all you had to do was pick up the phone and listen to see if there was anyone <laughs> else already on the call before making your call. The country. Wow. <laughs> she heard my mom and aunt talking and asked if they were having any issues with electricity. I don't really remember any resolve to it. I think it was just the neighborhood woman talking. But I do remember that my dad seemed quite tense about it. But he didn't say anything. For the next two to three weeks, multiple neighbors saw the lights, either moving through the sky or hovering in various spots. My cousin, who is five years older than me, who was 19 at the time, said he saw the lights move across the field while he watched from his bedroom. Another neighbor said that his cows and horses would start acting really strange and make lots of noise at night. Then he would see the lights. 
on Fridays, all of the neighbors would usually get together at someone's house for cards and socializing, and we kids would play, and there would usually be a fire that everyone would sit around. The talk was soon of everyone seeing these lights, having electrical issues, phone issues, and barn animals and pets acting really weird. One neighbor said that his entire family saw the lights over their barn and then the object slash craft slash whatever hit their house with what they said was the brightest spotlight. Oh. That it was so bright that you couldn't even see. Oh my God. Then it just went off and the lights were gone. That is the only time I heard of that happening. And I wish I could tell you something exciting about missing time or crop circles or seeing grays or the lights chasing people. But really, that was it. For about a month, the lights appeared. Almost everyone in the neighborhood talked about seeing them. And then as soon as it all started, it just stopped. I like to think that our neighborhood was just so boring that the aliens thought, nope, no intelligent life here, (laughs) and moved on. (laughs) But but I digress. (laughs) And all of this, my mother and I never saw the lights. Today, no one talks about that summer or the lights. My father and uncle have both passed away. They are the only two that ever continued to talk about it, but they would never say UFO, just the lights. I personally am a believer in the paranormal. I lived in a very haunted house in my early 20s, and my father and a few other relatives visit me in my dreams for what I call a check-in from time to time. I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you again for all that you do in creating a community that feels safe for people of every background to share their experiences. Billy. Um... Okay, Billy, this story reminds me so much of Nope. Have you seen it, Corinne? Right? Uh, like, especially the, the country, the farm. Yes. Yeah. And just like the other, like in Nope, you know, there's there's the neighbors that have the same sort of similar experiences, all the animals yeah, having issues. It, you know, kind of space a little bit more, but hanging back for others. Right. Uh, it's curious that Billy said that he assumed that they were like, there's no uh, intelligent life. intelligent life here. But these this <laughs> these lights, this UFO was seen for two to three weeks and they were experiencing things for that long. So I imagine that there's quite a few abductions that perhaps people just don't have memory of. Oh, you're so right. I, I can't believe I didn't think of that. I'm sure there were. Yeah. Right? Because it was just they were there. It just something. kept fucking people... Plucking yeah. people out. Or, I don't know, surveying the, la- the land for a future attack. I don't know, future plans. Or if aliens go on cruises like we do <laughs> and vacations, maybe it was just like three weeks in the in Earth's countryside. <laughs> yeah. Watch their is- animals called cows <laughs> graze on what they call grass. That is so and funny. And deplete their ozone layer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I liked, I mean, I liked to think that they are just watching us like a TV show where they are. Yeah. We are there, but, Laguna Hills. <laughs> oh my God. Are we all being watched? Because it's hard, it's hard to fathom a population any bigger than ours. And so to think like, I mean, for all we know, what if there's an alien population that is so incredibly dense, we can't even wrap our minds around it. And so what if each of us is a television show? I, I mean, it's a Truman show, right? Isn't that the movie? Or I guess maybe we're just being operated, like little 
Sims. But no, yeah. I think you're I think you're onto something. Billy, your family was being abducted. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why Billy and his mom never saw anything, is because they were abducted and their memories they, were. Wiped. Uh, that's what I was gonna say. They were the abductees. <laughs> their minds were wiped. <laughs> Zip, zoop, zoop. Okay, I have one last story. Okay. And it is called The Podcast Demon Made My Friend Ill. Hello, Corinne and Sabrina. I would like to stay anonymous, but for podcast purposes, you can call me Kay. I am a 19-year-old college student who adores all things paranormal. I've been listening to your podcast over the last year, and I have fallen absolutely in love with it, particularly Encounters episodes. This story may be able to be written off as something other than paranormal, but the circumstances were beyond weird. Warning for descriptions of bodily functions and illness, so if you're sensitive to vomit, be warned. After our early swim practice, my friend, who you can call V, and I decided to go grab breakfast in town about 20 minutes from our school. When V got into my car, I asked if it would be okay if I kept listening to a podcast. The thing about me and V is that we both love all things ghostly. There is an extremely old historical cemetery on our campus that we tend to ghost hunt in from time to time. I have quite a few stories from there if you would like to hear. Yes, please. I assumed that V would adore TGOG. Strangely enough, I was listening to an old Encounters episode that I had missed, Encounters 157. In this episode, you read about listeners experiencing strange things that may relate to your spooky October episodes. Shout out to our boy, Sven. As we drive, I see V go from perfectly fine to really restless. We were almost at breakfast when she mentions that she no longer feels well, despite swimming a two-hour practice earlier that morning and being perfectly fine. I get a weird feeling that I need to turn the podcast off as soon as possible. I change it to music and look over to see V is even sicker. Concerned, I'm asking whether the nausea is because they haven't eaten, and they reply, informing me it is more than nausea, that I need to pull out of the drive through line. I have emetophobia, and so does V, creating a lot of panic as I speed out of the line towards the nearest spot bordering grass. She races out of my car and immediately begins vomiting. I'm in the car gagging as she stands outside for around five minutes, yakking up nothing but stomach contents because she hadn't eaten yet. She gets back in the car and already feels 100% better. She said... The feeling listening to the podcast was heavy, despite both of your charismatic and enticing personalities. This was so out of the blue. V normally has much more warning before getting sick and usually has a reason. She felt completely fine after, and it couldn't have been food poisoning as she had yet to eat. We sat in silence for a moment and eventually they spoke up, laughing a little to say, I think your ghost podcast made me throw up. I laughed too, but I admit I was kind of thinking the same thing because I've heard of people feeling physically ill in the presence of spirits, especially those who tune in with the other side, as V has recently discovered she is capable of. Both of us have had paranormal encounters, even together, such as a time a ghostly man showed up behind us and shoved V to the ground. Another story for another time, if you would like. And getting sick has never been her reaction. Very spooky, and I wonder if your podcast demon has anything to do with it. I hope you liked our weird little experience. Best wishes and hopes for a spooky new year, Kay. Kay, I'm so sorry that your yeah. attempt to bring someone into our 
pyramid scheme <laughs> failed so yes. epically. And also whoever that demon is, I, we're mad at you. Come on. I know. I really feel like we were, Sven was working overtime in the month of October because of what we did. And also let's not forget that we quit halfway through the month of October covering. Did demonic. we? I don't think we did. I I swear the last like one or two episodes, I think October had like five weeks. I, th- I think we did three of them. I feel like I kept going. Maybe. I think I was like, I'm pulling, I'm pulling this plug. I'm not researching another, another thing. funny. But I also wonder if V has such strong spirit guides and maybe would have had something bad happen or attach itself if V went back and listened to those episodes that maybe it was like the spirits were just like, let's just make sure V does not want to listen to this podcast at all. Because we can't risk certain episodes and certain entities being unintentionally called forward into V's presence. I agree. You know? Yeah. Man, that makes me feel bad. And and I'm sorry. (laughs) I feel really bad. I am sorry, but I am glad that nothing beyond that happened. That both V and K had the wherewithal to turn off the podcast and pull over so that V could... Um, expunged whatever negativity was trying to enter their lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow, yeah. this makes me want to just have more protections over ourselves too. If this many listeners experience things and feel things, and I guess we do too, but I just, I think we already do have a bit of protection. I think there's some sort of cloak and bubble over us more than we think there is because I think we tempt fate a lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> but we are still collecting lots of stories, especially, well, not especially, but we also really want ones where you have experienced hauntings because of our podcast. If you have offerings of how to protect ourselves, that also would be greatly appreciated. Um, please email all of that to us at two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Come to our shows. Mm-hmm. It is Basically tomorrow. So get your tickets because time's ticking. Uh, We are doing two shows, April 14th in Portland, Maine. Sorry, Oregon. We'll get to you hopefully in the future. (laughs) And uh, the 26th in New Brunswick, New Jersey. So you can check out our website, twogirlsoneghost.com. You can also check the show notes here for the tickets to our live shows. Yes. Join us and and tell people to join join our pyramid scheme. There's so many things. Also, thank you so much to our editor, our new editor, Christina. We are so excited, has joined the uh, TGOG family and is editing our show, both the audio and the video and coming up with TikToks because we are getting into the social game. But yes, thank you, Christina. We're so grateful for you. And also we're so grateful for all of you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us each week. And we will see See you on on the the other other side. side. Very spooky.